Okay, so just started filming. Um, I'm Benjamin Rolnick, and that is... And I'm Mike Armstrong. Nice. I figured it'd be better if you introduce yourself as yeah. opposed to me saying your name. Feels you know? good. I don't want to rob you <laughs> of I your name. Well, I could say, like, and this is Ben Rolnick. <laughs> <laughs> rob me of my name? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we could deliver each other's names. So, yeah. I'm about to call Heidi Ippolito. And she just sent me a text message today. I feel like this is really synchronicitous, where she said the last time that she that we spoke to each other was like literally the day before she went off to graduate school in Ireland to study. It was sort of like mind, body, and soul. And now I'm doing integral fitness, and she just got back, and uh, she was also my ex-girlfriend's best friend. So um, this is going to be an interesting call. I'm calling her up right now. She has no idea I'm calling. All right, let's see what Heidi has to say. Integral calling. See if she answers. See, are we lucky? Hello. Hey, Heidi. Oh my goodness. So, um, first of all, I was really excited to get a text message from you today. And the second thing is, um, I'm in the car right now with my friend, Mike Armstrong, and, uh, we were recording a podcast on integral fitness. And I thought that it was really synchronicitous and that we'd, uh, we'd call you up and we'd kind of get you on this because you've just studied about mind, body, and soul. Oh my gosh! Well, uh, hi, new friends, and I'm also in the car. Uh, Amazing. I'm not actually in LA, unfortunately. Where are you? Uh, I'm in San Diego, but I'm moving up to LA within the next like couple weeks. I've just been home since school was over, paying off my loans and stuff. So now I'm finally getting back up there. Wow! Amazing. Well, I'm excited for you to actually be here. And, uh, I know. yeah. And, and by the way, we're, we're literally recording this right now for this podcast. Um, oh, so I'm just, this is just all, this is all happening. Yeah, it is. It is. And, okay. uh, we're, we're going to dive right in because I mean, I'm okay, so perfect. curious what you've been learning. I mean, you just got back from graduate school <laughs> and before you left, I remember being so fascinated by what you were about to study and also by you, because you're such like a charismatic, loving, joyful figure, and your interests are so diverse. Well, thank you, um, and I'm honored. This is so wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Uh, well, you don't have to say too much, but I mean, I'm, I am curious though, like what you were studying. Okay. Okay. So the basics. The degree is called Psychology, Imagination, and the Arts, which does not narrow anything down. Pretty much just opens that right up. But I would say the easiest way to describe it are sort of the, the three courses we had. One was a very doctrinal-based course, so went through the sort of pillars of mostly Western Christianity, but a lot of other religions as well, but that was kind of the one that would weave it all together, and then looking at sort of art history and art movement and religious changes and culture throughout history, so that kind of took us sort of 
art history slash historical slash doctrinal approach. Wow. And then another class I had, yeah, which was great, because I had no idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> and the other class I had was more theory and concept-based, so each week would be sort of a different concept, so postmodernism or different practices of worship. I mean, all over the place with these big, broad topics. And then we would go into different art styles or different times in history, different theories and, and writers and philosophers and religious figures just all over the place and their different thoughts on these different concepts. And that was a big four-hour class that we would all just sit around and chat, which obviously was incredible. Wow. And then the other class I took was, gosh, I don't even remember anymore. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this one was more art-based. So we went through different movements. So architecture, visual art, you know, films, theater. So we, that one was more artistically based, and we looked at those artistic practices throughout history and then how you can interweave different religious and philosophical thoughts and how that reflects those kinds of thoughts in culture throughout history, you know, kind of using religion as a way to understand history and different cultures and different religions. You know, wow. you look at a mosque and you look at a cathedral and you look at all of these, you know, theories on architecture and suddenly you're thinking about all kinds of stuff. So how do you think religion is understood and maybe even misunderstood today? Ooh, isn't that a great topic? Yeah. I say there's a huge foundation in what's going on. There's a lot of, yeah, I think miscommunication is a great way to think about it, unfortunately. Um, I think as opposed to in other times in history where everything was a lot more slowed down, we just have such access to so much information so quickly that instead of interacting with religion and concepts on an individual level or even an experiential level, you're getting it in sort of like direct information or indirect information or just really loud, extreme concepts from television, news, articles, Facebook. So instead of actually meeting someone who's Muslim and asking them their experience and walking into a mosque and being awed by architecture, we just know ISIS, which is a big bummer. Because these religions have so much to offer in terms of art and culture and concepts and community. And it's not just any one. It's any, you pick any religion out of a hat, and it's often just kind of whatever stereotype we know uh, instead of, you know, what, what we can kind of learn. So why do you think that some religious people, or, so let me back up. Let me re-ask this in a different sure. question. So like... So mm-hmm. I, I have a story that I tell myself and I don't tell it to myself all the time, but, but it, it like lingers in the back of my mind that like, that some religious people just can't get along. Like if you're, if you're dogmatic about a religion, like it's like sure. almost impossible to get along with someone from another religion because it's like, it's like, I like country Western music. You like urban music. And we're sitting in the car together and we're on a, you know, seven hour long road trip. And it's just like, you know, who's going to win here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you're fighting over the radio, right? That's the basis of that 
problem is that you can't enjoy someone else's music and they can't enjoy your music, so no one's enjoying themselves because you're either panicked that the other person, you're either empathetic and you're like, uh oh, they don't like my music, or you're not empathetic and that's an entirely different problem and you just don't care what someone else thinks. So like, do you think that it's, it's like, what do you think is that, is that sort of, um, that, that capstone or key towards like religious empathy? So like somebody having like mm-hmm. firm belief in one thing and being able to actually like empathetically relate to somebody who has diametrically opposed beliefs. I think it just all comes down to an open mind mm-hmm. and really to sort of open mind and i love the visual of open palms like palms facing up there's a really great uh writer slash man i don't know he's just like a good person um bob goff g-o-f-f or g-o-e-f-f he wrote this incredible book called love does and it's pretty well known and he's just super great and He's really involved with this organization, Young Life. Anyway, the point is, he I read it in his book, this visual of having open palms. So let's say I have a personal faith that I adhere to, and I, that's how I understand the world, and I'm worshiping, right? You can't worship with clenched fists. Mm. The only way you can worship, and I've heard this actually with some other writers as well. Um, Rachel Held Evans is another one who talks about this. But the idea of, and he uses the example, like if you're trying to talk to someone, if you sit in a chair and you're, you're both facing each other and your hands are open and sitting on, resting on your knees, like you have a really hard time like yelling at that person or being angry because mm, yeah. you're just in a posture of being open. And likewise, Rachel Held Evans talks about how with her face, her Christian face, she has a hard time with the understanding of Christian faith as having clenched fists, right? Like a really obvious example is people who are anti-abortion or anti-gay marriage and whether or not those people are right or wrong is beside the point because they're yelling and they don't really seem to be listening. They just seem to be shaking their fists, which is really different than having open palms, not just to other people, but really to your own faith. So if you're, you're worshiping the Lord, you have to have your hands open which means you're constantly in a state of being humble and knowing that you don't know anything. Wow. So, honestly, if you're in the car and you don't know anything, then, I mean, maybe this person will turn on country music and it's a song I can relate to or it's a song I, you know, I might enjoy despite my previous history of never liking country music. Wow. You know what just I can tell you. Yeah. No, no, go, go, go. What what gave me the chills about what you just said is that is that you kind of unpacked my metaphor a bit because what like the implicit assumption in in that story in that metaphor was that all country western songs are the same. So like so for somebody who likes right. country western, like it's one song, but that's not the truth. Like the truth is, is that you know there's uh, there's you know that song seven years that's now at like the top of the pop charts which people who love every genre of music can relate to and it's a country song or Taylor Swift 
who, you know, was a country <laughs> totally. artist, right? So like, you know, yes, there are the deep cuts that maybe your urban friend sitting in the car won't want to listen to, but then there's also like so many different crossover moments and places where both the people can relate. So, wow, it like really touched me that you unpacked that. And actually the idea of open fists um, is like really relevant to Mike because I feel like last night we were at this birthday party at a vegan restaurant and uh, Mike was in a conversation with this girl who's about to go on a Fulbright fellowship trip to Taos. And she was asking, she was sort of like, uh, she was sort of badgering him a bit about, about some relationship decisions that he made. And any other person, and I, I know myself included, would have wanted to have responded and reacted to her badgering and what she was asking for and like the intention behind her words. But he remained so equanimous and just in this open-fisted, open-palm place of just being able to like ask her questions and get very curious about where she was coming from. And it totally diffused the charge and it just was like this really beautiful place of approaching, uh, you know, where somebody else is coming from. So, Mike, you want to like say something about that? Because I thought that was really powerful. Yeah, I actually appreciate that you brought that up after the fact because I didn't recognize it in the moment. In the moment, I was really more curious about her than I was about me trying to spread my belief. I shared what I thought, but when it was her time to to share her thoughts, I was, like you said, I was like, my, my palms were open and I was I was receptive to her, her point of view. And I had no intention of arguing with it. I just wanted to hear her out. And from what I found, when you hear someone out, like, sure. yeah, when I let someone speak, when I, when I hear, when I let someone uh, just talk, um, it, it, uh, they go deep. It, it, it makes them feel really good. It makes them feel special. Oh yeah. There's something really powerful you... about just listening. Oh, I definitely agree. Especially because most people just want to be seen and heard, even if that doesn't always end up with full agreement. Exactly. Wow. Now, what, what really hit me about what you just said, Mike, was, was I think that that's what I was getting at, is that I didn't know how to explain it a second ago, but you said the words were like, you really weren't trying to convince her of your belief like you didn't care at all if she believed or cared about what you believe and I think that I think that you know I definitely struggle with that sometimes like like I struggle with being right and and like part of being right is being validated because other people agree with you or agree with me so so like I, 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 I like totally recognize that seed of the closed palm within me and, and it's fascinating because I wonder like, like, and I know that, that I would be happier <laughs> and in more loving relationships all the time if I could just do what you did last night, period. Mm. But it makes me, it gives me anxiety because I go like, if I don't try to convert this person and, and convert is a strong word, right? But it's, it's more like convince. Right, because like we could be talking about <laughs> rational argumentation about what someone should be doing with their business, but then the idea is like if I don't convince them, then like the world will explode. And I think what it comes down <laughs> to is planting seeds. So I, I can share my opinion and I can share my thoughts, 
without any expectation of them agreeing. And if I do that and then I let them speak and I let them share their thoughts, I know that I shared myself honestly and openly and perhaps like that night they may go to bed thinking about it. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, it's, it's, I, I can totally relate then with that because I struggle with wanting to be right. And sometimes it translates to, and sometimes it actually is, just wanting to be right and be validated. And sometimes it comes from this very, ooh, perfectionist, firstborn, justice. Like, oh, it's not just that I want to be right, it's just that this is right. Yeah. And you just have to convince someone not to necessarily even agree with you, but to make sure that you are fully heard, struggling to be articulate and to be fully understood. Even if someone walks away going, oh, I totally see what you're saying. I still don't agree with you, but I hear you. That can be just as beneficial, but that can sometimes trying to achieve that just turns into, why don't you agree with me? Or I'm right. Why can't you see it? Well, so I have arguments with people all the time who are like radical atheists or who are like radically against religion. And, and I, I used to be like that in a lot of ways. I went through a, a certain phase of that. And what sort of broke me out of it is what I realized is that the, the complaints that people have against like religion and religious people are usually not complaints that are sort of specific to religion. They're complaints that are specific to, you know, the darker side of, of humanity and, you know, the darker sides of our personalities. <laughs> like, you know, like what I shared a minute ago about wanting to be right has nothing to do with what religion I'm a part of or, you know, if I'm, I'm Christian or if I'm Muslim or if I'm an atheist. It just has to do with being an asshole, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, entirely. And that goes back to the humility thing. If you're sitting there and you're just constantly reminding yourself that, not that you're worthless and you shouldn't be heard, but just that you are not any more knowledgeable than anybody else. Because everybody believes that their experience is valid. And for the most part, we all have access to similar information. So the more you can just open up communication channels with the mindset of, they are coming from a place this makes sense to them, let's find out why that is without belittling everyone or just ignoring everyone. Yeah. And there's no way to influence somebody who you're judging, which is just truth. So, so if there is a way to help somebody or uplift them, or maybe if you are right and they are wrong, you're never going to get to that place by trying to judge Uh them and, you know, and, and by, by assuming that they are wrong. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, really crazy that you said that because I was just an hour or two ago I was reading this sort of daily devotional I do and I was reading in Romans and Romans chapter 14 which I can't believe I remember that I never remember anything um, and it's talking about not judging your brothers and it's saying you know it really is their question like why are you even judging your brothers wow. um, and I what I got from that was Okay, I think most people agree, don't judge other people, especially your brothers, right? That, you know, maybe people who are in alignment with you or your friends or who kind of share the same faith. But what I, what dawned on me was, how do I know who my, my brother is or my sister? Wow. I don't. Like, there's no way I can walk into a situation and say, you're not my brother. That's automatically putting 
someone in a position that they're against you. And wow. why wouldn't you want to just approach life as if everyone is your brother? Wow. And yeah, your brothers might really disappoint you or stab you in the back, Oof. but I would rather have that happen than make it easier for them to stab me in the back because I just automatically don't even approach them as my brother. Wow. By the way, that just brought up so much for me, not the least of which is literally today, <laughs> before we called you, <laughs> Mike and I were, were talking about my brother and, uh, and I just recently shared a video <laughs> um, uh, with sort of my brother that we're about to um, publish and put live. And, um, and my brother came up to me today and like, and he obviously had like a lot coming up in him and, um, and he was, he was like judging me based on this video and he was judging other people based on this video. And it was, mm -hmm. it was very interesting to me because it w it was such a clear moment of projection where it was just like, God, like, like everything he's saying is coming from like his own issues, not mine. And sure. if he, if he had spent less time judging me and you know, the other people who he thought were complicit in my story and more time sort of thinking through kind of like what his story was and what's real to him and how he could take responsibility for that, then he would find himself in a place of more power and more joy and more happiness. Oh, totally. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's just, it's one of those things that once you start thinking about it, it's just, the dots are always kind of connecting, but it's really hard to think about it because all we think about are, is ourselves. Oh, yeah. By the way, that's literally, I think, I, I mean, I just got distracted because we parked, but, but there's a great, um, uh, oh yes. Um, what is it? Uh, Ah, uh, God. So most people, um, oh God, what is this quote? Oh God. Okay. Maybe you guys can help me. It's something like, it's, so, it's sort of like, you know, um, 99.9% per, .9 of problems, um, have to do with oneself and, uh, and there isn't one or something like that. <laughs> Come from. Wait, wait, say that again. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. This isn't it. The actual code is more sure. powerful than this, but it's basically like 99.99, like a hundred percent of our problems come <laughs> from like ourselves. But the real problem is, is that there isn't one. So huh. it's, it's sort of like a non-dualistic teaching of, of sort of like, you know, a lot of what my issues are come from the fact that, that, you know, I have an ego and my ego thinks that it's separate from the world and it identifies itself with this and that and with a particular course of life, which it could have easily identified with another one, right? If, if I had been born in Milwaukee versus Los Angeles, I would have a completely different outlook and paradigm on life and I'd be a different person, but I'd still be, I'd still be this body. I'd still be this nervous system. So the idea that like the self and the ego is just sort of like, it's just sort of an overlay. It's like a desktop background across like the truth of who I am and who my being is. And if I focus on that and my higher self, then a lot of those sort of like 
little pesky problems which will affect the quality of my day could just like poof and vanish. Then I could start focusing on the world and others and my connection to them. I'll give no, you. No, I totally see what you're saying. There, I'll give you another example that's that's way easier. Yeah. Uh, and and I won't use any names, but um, they're basically <laughs> there was there was somebody there was somebody in my life who was having a big issue with somebody else, and and their issue was that they disagreed with basically the choices that that person was making. Now that the other person, let's just say person A is the person who had the problem. Person B was the person they had the problem with. So person B basically, they were happy. I mean, everything that they were doing was making them happy. They were thrilled by their life, but person A thought that they were going down the wrong path. Now, ultimately at the end of the day, whose problem was that? (laughs) You know what I mean? It was person A's problem. (laughs) You know, it, they thought that they were being a good, doing a good thing. They thought that they were trying to help person B, but really they were just being selfish. They were just trying to project their own values across the person B, as opposed to, you know, really kind of like relishing in the fact that person B was happy. And what made it worse is that if they had just made it about them, if person A had just made it about their own problem, then they would have been way more influential on person B. Because person B is not going to think to themselves like, you know, oh, like, you know, I'm happy, but you think I'm headed down the wrong path and I've got the wrong values. Oh, gosh, you're right. Like, let me just switch everything I'm doing right now and follow what you're saying. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, I feel like the key comes down to speaking vulnerably and speaking about yourself. Hmm. If, if, if we can speak about how it, how it affects me, how I feel, my experiences with it, and just share that without expecting anything in return. Uh, it, mm. it, it creates a situation that is, is more balanced and, and allows it to be open to be balanced because then the other person can feel free to be vulnerable as well. You know? I love that. That whole vulnerability without expectations, I think that's really insightful. It's really powerful. You know, vulnerability is a superpower. Mm-hmm. It's, it spreads really, really easily. But it's really, really hard for most people to do. Exactly. That's why leading by example is so great. Because it is scary. But it's, and it seems scary. And being vulnerable has, has lots of negative connotations. Um, but it's it's starting to... I feel like it's starting to become kind of trendy to, to speak your mind and to speak, yeah. speak your truth. No, I, I agree. And not only speaking your mind, but speaking your mind in a way that, oh, this is what I think... And what I think is that I don't know anything or I'm really unsure about this or I'm having a hard time rather than this is my truth and this is it in my hands. My fists are clenched and you, that's it. That's who I am. And you have to just accept me. But Which is something it makes... to be said for accepting people as they are, but if, if it's not reciprocated, then, you know, you can have a problem. The only thing about that, though, is that is that I, I totally amplifies with that perspective on life because... If we think about the pressure on us as millennials today in order to succeed in a global world where everything is moving a mile per minute and literally like if you don't like if you're not sort of online and working all the time, then you're falling behind. You know, I think that that not being vulnerable comes from a place of trying to protect ourselves and succeed and I think that the problem is, is that, is that it takes more energy to try to protect ourselves than it does to just let go and, 
<laughs> and just be who we are. Oh, so true. <laughs> so true. Oh, definitely. Because the, the moment you can let go of all that protection, that's when you really are able to be free and be who you are. I mean, I have a really good friend, Henry. I'm sure I mentioned him to you last time we were hanging out because he's just a star. And he has, just in our friendship, has encouraged me so much to be vulnerable. And I have a hard time often being a little past progressive because I'm a little bit of a people pleaser. So mm-hmm. I just am like, yeah, whatever's great for everyone. And then mm-hmm. half aggressively, like disagreeing with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it's just garbage. <laughs> it's yeah, not no, a good I've, idea. I've been there. I've definitely been there. It's like, yeah, it's all good. Yeah. And then, oh, wait, not that one. <laughs> yeah. It's all good yeah, except for that. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where it's like you're protecting by trying to appear like everything's fine, which Maybe you are down to go with the flow, but again, if you're not feeling seen and heard, then then that's where the passive aggressive comes in because you feel like you're not being, you know, understood. So Henry's just been such a wonderful encourager, even just in our own friendship, which now leaked into the rest of my life in a really positive way, just in a moment, just saying, hey, you know, this is actually what I think, or can we talk about this? Or, you know, when you do this, it makes me feel this way. Mm-hmm. And that's a really difficult things to just do like band-aid style get it out of your mouth yeah to be like when you do this it makes me feel this way you feel like oh my god i'm in therapy i didn't sign up for this i just like wanted to go take a walk or you know you know just be in a bar and hang out with friends and i don't know it, the more you do that the more that language becomes comfortable and the more you're just yourself all the time hmm. i found at least yeah, yeah totally yeah and I, I completely relate with that. And the more that I tell people what I want or what I like, what I don't like, the more open I am. The, I'm actually doing them an amazing gift because yes. I'm being a, a mirror for them. And maybe they didn't realize that they were doing that thing that made me feel this, this negative way. And when I say it, it's like I, I, I'm a people pleaser as well. At least I'm stepping out <laughs> of that. And it feels so good to say, to speak my mind and... And when it's really uncomfortable, but then it opens them up, it opens me up, and it creates such magic. So so much magic comes yep. from that. Mike, dude, you've gotten so much more powerful just in the past few months <laughs> by doing that. I'm always so blown away by what you're saying. And one of the things that you do, I haven't said this to you yet, sometimes is I see you like take a deep breath, and then you get kind of like quiet for a sec, and your your voice is a little bit different and then you say something that that's sharp you say something really sharp and pointy that's always good but it's sharp and pointy and I'm wondering are you doing like that breath beforehand because you're really nervous about what you're about to say or do you know what I'm talking about it could be yeah one thing I've been one thing I've been stepping into is is to not have regret to not say something to not speak my mind Mm. my entire life I would like leave a situation be like, oh, I wish I would have said that or I should have said that. Or, <laughs> you know, like, this person made me feel that bad way and I, I, I should have just spoken, I should have spoken up. And so what I do is I get this feeling like I should speak up and perhaps in the moment I just don't. And then when I first have that feeling of regret, like, oh man, I should have, I've taught myself that when I have that feeling of should, that's the perfect moment to speak up. That the first, yeah. the first moment that regret of not speaking up appears, 
that's when it's the perfect opportunity to, and it's not too late. Mm -hmm. So that could be... Oh, not too late. Yeah, not too late. I like that. Yeah. And to go back to the people pleaser thing, someone said something to me the other day that just like blew the lid off. And what he said is that, can you ever really not hurt somebody? Can you ever really not hurt somebody? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not if you're, I mean, not if you're really loving them, right? Mm. If you're not actually engaging and loving someone, then you don't get the the hits as well as the high fives or whatever. Right. That would be. Um, I I was listening to a podcast about that this morning, actually, uh, Rob Bell, who's super cool. Um, uh, nice. I'd never listened to this podcast before. And he was saying, he's talking about, oh, this phrase, like, I'm just loving life right now. You know, a lot of people say that, or I'm just, you know, loving whatever. But then we forget loving life probably means that love is going to knock you down and push you around and disappoint you and all of those things that we know from dumb, dumb movies comes with love. Um, and so that's just a really important part of either actual people or life or experiences or jobs. If you're loving it and you think it's loving you, then you're going to get all those types of love. Hmm. Wait, can, can you, can you like, um, elaborate on that last part of what you just said? Getting highs and lows of love. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, well, cause it just sparked me cause you were just saying, how can you ever really not hurt somebody? And I think you can, I mean, the kindergarten answer to that is yes, you can avoid hurting people in a really direct, cruel way, but you cannot avoid interacting with people. Actually, C.S. Lewis has a really good visual metaphor for this. I'm going to butcher it, but it's something along the lines of, uh, if you, if you lock your heart away in a box, it's just going to get dusty and rot away. Um, and that's really sad. But if you open it up and let other people touch it and play with it and be a part of your life, it, it might get a little bruised, but it's certainly going to have a lot fuller life. You know, protecting yourself. We've had this whole theme of this conversation, this idea of protecting yourself. Yeah. Whether that be protecting people or protecting yourself from other people's opinions on your religion or your country music, protecting yourself from you know, people pleasing and you don't want to hurt other people's feelings. And then likewise, protecting yourself from getting your feelings hurt. Mm-hmm. But then you're not actually living life or loving people. Wow. Yeah, I really, <laughs> I, I feel like I've like, I've, I've sunk into this and I feel like I've, I've just like drank some, uh, some wisdom <laughs> from this conversation. <laughs> Yeah. You know, as long as what we do is with the intention of love and, mm-hmm. and to, to recognize that we're not in charge of other people's feelings. And if, if we speak our mind and it's our truth and we're speaking it with love, it, it, if that hurts someone, that's okay. You know, that could be what they need. Um, it's, it's, we're not in charge of, of, of how they feel as long as we do it with the intention of love. Yeah, I agree with that. Because eventually, if if that person loves you as well, they will attempt, even if not in the moment, even if in reflection, to understand how you were trying to do that lovingly from a place of love. 
uh, rather, because someone might react, you know, really defensively or not super loving themselves, but, you know, we all know no one's perfect and we're all going to react poorly, like, at least 50% of the time. <laughs> so we have to kind of expect that coming to us as well, that it's never going to be perfect, but like you said, the intentions, or at least the attempt of uh, intentions of love is really what's going to make the difference. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, Heidi, I think we're going to, I think we're going to wrap this up. Uh, is there anything you'd like to share? Any, any last words or bits of wisdom or anything you've learned recently? Wow. Anything I'd like to share? Oh boy. Um, well, first of all, this has been so wonderful. I have been in such a rut of a place. I was done with school in August and I've been home and with my family, which has been such a blessing and so much fun, but I'm also just such in a place of, I don't know what to do, I don't know what I'm doing, existential millennial crisis, Mm. 20-something, typical, whatever, and this has just been very encouraging, and I have learned Mm. to take deep breaths and look and listen for certain signs, and today I learned again from Rob Bell, who who knew there's so much gold in his podcast, um, to speak back to fear. I like this idea that I learned today, which was, you know, fear, that thing in your head where it's like, you can't do that, or if you try that, you're going to fail. To speak back in this sort of playful, adventurous way of like, oh, I know. I know I'll fail. Like, pretty much a given. I think that's one of the things we learn, like, immediately in life is you're going to do something wrong, you're going to fail, you're going to be embarrassed. Uh, so now that we have that out of the way, I can just do it anyway. <laughs> and that's really, really hard to put into practice. I'm not saying I'm doing this right now, but I would like to learn to speak back to fear. Yeah. I, I, but by the way, the, the quick hit that I get on that is just that, that so often it's by not articulating those voices and not making that invisible force within our minds visible and conscious that it has the most power and control over us. So, so that really resonates with me. And I want to thank you <laughs> because I feel hey, like as long as we're all sharing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean you, by the way, like one of the things that I heard you say was that like you found this, uh, this conversation encouraging, but what I would say is that you called in this conversation and you really started it. So, <laughs> so that was drawing upon that invisible force within yourself, which has all the encouragement you need. Secretly encouraging myself all along. Yeah. Too. Yeah. I love it. So I'm glad that we could <laughs> also be here um, to help draw upon that voice and um, bring it to the forefront. And uh, it's great to hear your voice. And uh, sending you lots of love. And thank you so much for talking with us today. Oh, my gosh. You guys are so great. I I hope to hang out with you guys in person within <laughs> the next, like, month or so. So, yeah. Call me when you're in L.A. Or when you're headed okay, up here. Have a, I will. Have a great Sunday. You too. Happy Sunday. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Is it done recording? Yeah. Wow. We did it! Woo-hoo! I love it.